0: guys hello everybody welcome back welcome back and before we get into today's episode just want to do a brief little uh how would you say advertisement for something we're doing and you know this thing we have we joke the band (laughs) the public (laughs) philosophy project um we're putting on this series of events throughout the fall Mm -hmm. um and the spring and the spring that's right my brain is broken, Um, (laughs) at Edison High School. Mm -hmm. Edison, New Jersey. Edison, New Jersey. So don't go to like Edison, California (laughs) or something, I don't know. Um, Where for, you know, Constitution Month and beyond that, we are going to have a series of speaker, one per month, uh, talk about the philosophical roots of many of the key terms in the Constitution.
1: Correct. And we're going to start, what is it? Two weeks
0: from now? The 17th.
1: The 17th of September.
0: Wait a minute. Whoa, this is... <laughs> this is not even going to air. Wait, it's wait. not going to air. So, wait, no, we can keep going about future ones, though. That's yeah, funny. true. Okay, so you you know now we're recording in future... T- anyway, <laughs> uh, there's going to be one in October. Yeah. And beyond that...
1: There's going to be an, another one in March and one in April. Yes, and the so, one in
0: October is going to be me. It's going to be you speaking, yes. Uh, And I'm going to be speaking specifically about these concepts of liberty and rights and how they come from this underlying philosophical perspective.
1: And some of them are going to be more, uh, what can we say, densely philosophical Mm -hmm. than others. I think yours is going to be, of course, densely philosophical, but there is another one from uh, uh, one of our colleagues Mm -hmm. that's going to be more on the political science side. Mm-hmm. And others are going to be probably a little bit more practical. Yep. Um, but we decided this was an important thing to do. So come and join us.
0: Yeah. And it's going to be different ideas like defense and tranquility. Exactly. You know, citizen, government, stuff like that. Correct. And obviously you guys know us, but this is going to be a conversation that's not just buzzwords.
1: Exactly. We're mm-hmm. We're not trying to to repeat stuff right uh that you hear on tv or anywhere else so yes that's the idea
0: so if you're interested in attending just let us know we got to get your name on a list it will be free
1: yes it will be free there will be some refreshments some
0: refreshments whatever (laughs) that may be uh so just email public fillproject at gmail and we'll get you the info you need
1: Yep. just email us You know, at the beginning of October, so we can get you in.
0: Yes, as soon as you hear this, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: What about today?
0: So today we are going to be doing a topic that we've been, we knew we were going to do for a long time. Like, I kind of remember thinking about doing this when we recorded our first batch of like three or four. Yep. Which at this point was two years ago. Yeah, we're close to two years. Okay. Oh, is it already? To, it is. I you? I think so something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it was always in the works and I know I had a friend of mine who listens be like, "Hey, can you do this?" and I was like, "We're going to do that at some point, I promise." <laughs> and then a year happened and we didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's because I didn't want to do that one digitally.
1: Yes, we have we have postponed some of those things that because yes. we wanted to do it you know, in the same room.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was like two... I don't know, interesting or expansive where I was like, if we're going to do it, we got to do it in person.
1: Well, and piggybacking on our Q&A episode, this is one of those things that for you is really, especially for you, it's pretty personal, yeah. right? So yeah. it's only, only how can we say, normal that you want to do this the right way. That makes sense. Not that, again, not that what we did for one year digitally is garbage. Right, <laughs> no, no, of course <laughs> not, of course not. But, it, but it's different. There's a different vibe for, I think, Let's put it this way. I think that the end result for you guys is the same, Mm -hmm. but the vibe for us is different.
0: Yes. The experience for us, which is a thing that I guess as a listener, you know, you don't typically think about. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's all. So we're going to talk about this thing uh, called phenomenology.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start immediately here.
0: (laughs) why
1: did you call it a thing is it more than a philosophical current would you say is it more than a Mm. than a philosophical um how can we call it a
0: way that's an interesting question
1: um because it came out natural this thing like it's (laughs) there's more than
0: so i want to say there's a deep reason why i said the thing (laughs) but i think i always talk like that we're going to talk about this thing called blah 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 i always do that um but what is it? I mean, probably people have heard this word. It, like, you know, it, it's, it's a specialty, like, it's mm-hmm. kind of hyper specialized. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you like it, it trickles down every once in a while into conversation. Cause, like, oh, I heard of this elusive thing. Yep. Um, and the thing about phenomenology is that whatever it is, there's different strains of it. Like the flu, like the flu, <laughs> right? There's different. There's the Delta strain, um, but anyway, because you know that there's this split yep. in in philosophy between the quote-unquote analytic side and the quote-unquote continental side, which we we've not talked about that yet.
1: No, we another one of those things that yes. we thought the first day, pretty much. But
0: yes, so that one's gonna happen because that yep. one is like near and dear, I think, to both of our hearts. Yeah, um, and the kind of. Yeah, I'm just going to make a bold statement. The real phenomenology okay. is the thing emerging from continental philosophy. Okay, You see analytic philosophers use this word, like Dan Dennett will use it, Chalmers have used it, and like I like those guys. Uh, but that's the thing they're talking about is not the same thing that we are going to be talking about when we use this word phenomenology.
1: And I will add that the what we'll be talking about, it's more the original form of it. Like, historically, that's what it started.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I meant by by real. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, so I think that that's that's right. I think you're right about that.
0: And I think you're going to see why. Like, it makes sense why there's overlap, because they both have something to do with mental stuff correct right so those guys are dennett and chalmer's are philosophers of mind mm-hmm. so phenomena has something to do with experience so of course they're going to talk about that but but again it's much different
1: yeah definitely do you, so do we should we talk about the period of time when this thing starts right because it's it's another yeah. thing that's different probably from a lot of the things that we've talked about when we talk about you know a specific philosophers right which mm-hmm. has happened a couple of times i believe mm-hmm. throughout throughout the these two years we have talked about things that are farther in time than this i think this is the closest that we have been to oh to yeah contemporary
0: yeah this and then existentialism yeah yeah um so historically this is happening in the 1800s mm-hmm. um let's say I mean, it's kind of all over the place. 1800s into the 1900s. I would say, so yeah, that's because, what I'm going to say because yeah. there's that bleed over. Yeah, um, and and I think like existentialism, it's not just one thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's you know, I say it's more accurate to say there's existentialisms. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more accurate to say that there's phenomenologies. Yeah, definitely. And if I could figure out like one base starting point for like what are these ease have in common. Uh it's that it's a very specific approach or method of doing philosophy. Yes. Definitely. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I was trying to pinpoint the philosopher, Uh who Starts phenomenology in this period, because again back there are some that, you know, now we look back and we say, "Eh, that's kind of phenomenology, but I'm not counting those, right?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think there's a lot of that. Like even the ones with the capital P will be like people as early as Descartes or like yeah, Plato yeah. is doing for Exactly, yeah. exactly. This is why I'm
1: saying uh, maybe, yeah. maybe we. I'm trying to be on point, and of course, the name that comes to mind is Usser, Mm-hmm. But I was thinking maybe even people like oh, Brentano or yes or. Maybe not Boltzmann, but these people.
0: Yeah, so there's all these different uh, grandfathers, let's say, and so obviously Brentano is one of them, right? He did this thing that you would call like descriptive psychology, yeah. which has overlap with philosophy, uh, and you know, of which Husserl was a student. Mm-hmm. But I also see it being a direct, how would you say, like consequence of Kant. Definitely, no doubts about it. So, like for me, I, like Kant and Brentano are kind of the the forebearers mm-hmm. to this thing, let's say. But it really begins with Husserl.
1: Yeah, definitely, Is the one that. Is he the one who uses the term for the first time, or is it Brentano actually? And we don't need to know this. No, especially. I feel
0: like this is a this is a slip of mine that I couldn't tell you which of the two used it first. But I know Husserl offered the first, like like how would you say a case for it in yeah. the logical investigations yeah. yeah Um, but they were they were in, in close contact and the reason I say for me this comes from Kant and again so <laughs> here's the thing about phenomenology it's like the further specialized you get in philosophy very weirdly the more people like hate each other <laughs> and start getting into these like crazy arguments yep. right So the fact that I'm saying this starts as a result of Kant, people are already like, you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. You completely missed the point. I'm like, yeah, I missed the point, right? I only studied this and like I'm teaching, right? Whatever. (laughs) But the reason I say it's turned to Kant is because, so Kant has this this distinction of things into the phenomena and the things in themselves. And Mm -hmm. the things in themselves, the things as they are, beyond human experience and and concepts whereas the phenomena and we've talked about this here is you know the way things appear and i mean some people are going to be like no appearances and phenomena are distinct but generally it's the way things are as they present themselves to the the conscious subject
1: the human race at least yeah at least (laughs)
0: the human race exactly right because you throw animals in here it's like no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> right. What do we do with that? What is it like to be a bat? Yeah, exactly. Um So I, I think phenomenology kind of begins there, right? Let's look at the word phenomena. It has something to do with appearances.
1: Definitely. And but you were saying that there is this distinction between appearance, mere appearance, we should say. Yes. And phenomena. Or the, phenomenon. <laughs> and we're not we again, we don't need to get into specifics, right? It is. But just to give a little taste of the specialization, right? What would you say is the main difference between mere appearance, if there's anything more than what we just said, right? Mm-hmm. And phenomena.
0: You know, I think what some people will say is that there's I'm thinking of two things. One thing, at least in Kant, is that they'll say the appearance is like how would you say the unformed proto phenomena? Okay. And, like, the appearance is is the thing that presents itself, but we don't ever access it in a raw way. We only access it as formed through these things that show up through phenomena. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I'm thinking is when you say mere appearance, that already brings some baggage with it. Like, well, there's something other than mere appearance. <laughs> than mere appearance. Exactly. So it's a kind of philosophical method. It is the ology of... Presentation. Let's say that at first. Okay. I think that's a nice weak term to start with. So it's kind of,
1: uh, as always, say, uh, ology or logia. I used to say say Mm to my students, means rigorous discussion, right? Yes. So this is a rigorous discussion on the way things present to us. Yes. Kind of. Something like that. But I kind of don't like that because... Because everything's that. Well, aside from that... (laughs) No, I kind of don't like that because it's kind of stressing the role played by the thing. Mm. Because things are presenting themselves, right? Ah,
0: yes, yes, yes.
1: Well, instead, I think that the subject, right? Yes, yes. As preeminence in this case.
0: Good point. So let's refine it by saying it is the logos of the experience of phenomena.
1: Exactly. So where the stress is on the experiencer.
0: Yes. How it is presented to the subject.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And what role um, the subject plays. Yes. In shaping, we're, we're already like going. Yeah. In shaping this thing, right?
0: And again, people are going to hate this because they're going to be like, well, no, it's not that because you're presupposing... Like, this is a thing that happens with Heideggerian. (laughs) They say, like, well, you're presupposing this, like, absolute subject-object distinction. It's like, first of all, I don't think you have to drop that distinction, whatever that is, I don't want to get into that, to like Heidegger, but I think people get so touchy. Of course. And, like, sometimes you just have to speak in shorthand for the sake of getting Mm -hmm. on board with the conversation.
1: Mm -hmm. And I... I think you're right, and I just uh, as a general, since we're talking about this, as a general rule, I want to say mm-hmm. that the more people study something, the more litigious they get, as you said, right? Yes. But this is normal because when you are actually studying something, you kind of develop some sort of report with mm. the, the subject of your study. Mm-hmm. And if you're studying somebody's work, like Heidegger or Husserl or mm-hmm. whoever, then all of a sudden there are two kinds of people there. They're the one that get enamored with the other, and whatever the other is saying, and the moment you diverge from the dogma, you're wrong, right, that you're right, a right, bad right. person. And then there are the other ones, they're still able to kind of say, hey, this can be interpreted a little bit differently. Yes. And there's a third kind, which are the one like me, after studying <laughs> so much about <laughs> someone, you just like, I need a break from it right, for right. a little while.
0: So... so the the people i guess in the, in the conversational realm we're going to be talking about is, is husserl heidegger sartre and maybe to some extent merleau-ponty although he's the one i am least acquainted with out of that batch mm-hmm. but those are like kind of the big hitters so to speak yeah uh, there's people i left out people are going to be like hey but you didn't say but i think those are the main guys and husserl makes you know he lays out a very preliminary sketch of what phenomenology is mm-hmm. in this book that most people just call ideas. Yes. And there's actually multiple parts. There's Ideas 1, there's Ideas 2. There was supposed to be an Ideas 3, of which there are fragments. um, And they all touch upon a different thing. And the full title of this crazy book is uh, Ideas Pertaining to a Pure Phenomenology and to a Phenomenological Philosophy. So pretty short (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing nothing too crazy there. That probably in German is like three words.
1: That's it. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Two real three really long words. Um and that that kind of already should tell you something. Like I'm always big on that, like, well, let's talk about the title. Mm-hmm. But there's already this distinction between quote unquote pure phenomenology and a phenomenological philosophy that is not pure phenomenology. And ideas one, which is where he really sets up the basics is that first one, is the pure phenomenology. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are the phenomenological philosophies.
1: Which I'm assuming we're going to be talking about this distinction a little bit yes, uh, um, soon. Um, and I think it's interesting, right? Because it seems to me that he is, again, laying the foundation with the first one, telling us that there is this pure phenomenology, mm-hmm. that he exists, and that um that 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 okay. is um uh, then there is the phenomenological philosophy the that is yeah. that is not pure right yes. which means that, and I, and what you're left to wonder at least you know if I don't know anything about it, right mm-hmm. and I'm just hearing this, the first thing that comes to mind is definitely wait a minute, does that mean that this pure phenomenology is pure speculation that we mm. know is there, mm-hmm. but in reality we always access it kind of intuitively through the phenomenology sh- stuff, right? Yeah. Is it kind of the thing itself?
0: Mm. So what he would say is that it's it's like the pure one is the one you need to have a like a preliminary grasp upon in order to do the other ones. Mm-hmm. And but you know before we get too much into the abstract uh on a base level for people who are like yeah but what is this even about it has something to do with mental experience mm. that's the starting point
1: now, well how can we define that though What that's would you it say?
0: that's the great question <laughs> now in the beginning of ideas husserl at great lengths tries to first of all he talks about psychology mm-hmm. because when you hear mental experience you go to psychology. yeah and I feel like this is something that students often ask they're like, wait, but like how is this different from psychology, right? How is philosophy of mind mm-hmm. or any of these associated things different? And what I often say is like, well, without getting too complicated, it the difference is in the method, but it's also in the presuppositions made and whose mm-hmm. role is like this is not psychology he uh he comes from descriptive right brentano is the descriptive psychologist and there's much overlap between these guys but he's like listen i wrote this whole book logical investigations explaining that this is not psychology and i was so misunderstood man you don't even get it <laughs> that i have to write this other book to be like here's exactly how this method is different
1: which mm-hmm. is again interesting because he thinks that he needs to make the distinction, right? Because mm-hmm. evidently there must be something in psychology that he thinks whoever is doing psychology is not grasping, right? Yes. So there's an entire set of entities or an all entire methodology that cannot be grasped just from the psychological lens. Yes. And we need this philosophical, well, the pure phenomenological <laughs> lens, right, right. Whatever, right. right? In order to grad, to access this all other universe there, right?
0: Yes. And, and not only to access that stuff, but as he will contend later on in his career, to ground science.
1: Yes. Which is, again, what makes him similar to Kant, I guess. Right? Mm, that's a good point. Because that's one of those things that Kant wants to do as well. And even, ground sciences.
0: even Descartes, right? Yeah. If we are ever to find something firm and lasting in the sciences, then we need to do this presuppositionless thing.
1: Yes, because if we don't do that, which are, we're talking about nothing, then nothing
0: yes. is certain. And in a way, I'm going to draw a connection here that people are going to hate. Um, but
1: I think we need to make peace with that, right? Yes, it's we fine. are. People are going to hate some things. Who cares?
0: Descartes, yeah. if for those of you familiar was all about doing this presuppositionless philosophy, mm-hmm. right? A philosophy that doesn't make any assumption, assumptions about anything that's true or that exists. And in a way, Husserl is trying to do that too. Mm-hmm. He does it in a different way, and they don't always see eye to eye. But at the end of the day, pure phenomenology is a way of doing philosophy that's like not making any assumptions, is the idea here. Whatever that means.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the connection is valid. I, I think that there is a whole line mm-hmm. of thinkers that we can sketch, like from let's say, again broad brushes, right? From Plato to Descartes mm-hmm. to probably Leibniz, mm-hmm. Kant, and then even Hegel. Even Hegel. Yep. Yeah, we cannot forget that guy too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and. And Husserl, and Osterl. I mean, that's. I don't think I don't think anybody can doubt that. I know there's people that might say no, but the Genesis is that one. Yeah. It's like on the other side, of the aisle from Aristotle and mm. you know, and the empiricists. Those those people are on the other side. Kind of
0: yes, thing. absolutely. Because it's like we're trying to find truths that are quote unquote absolute, mm-hmm. right? And like, I don't mean that to carry any baggage with it. I just mean in the sense of like things that are like must be the case, right? A priori in a sense, although he talks about how what he doesn't like about that word, mm-hmm. but that's the basic thing, right? And so the question is, well, what what kind of assumptions does he think we make? Cuz he says we can't do phenomenology unless we clear all the assumptions. Mm-hmm. Another kind of cartesian thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, he says, listen, we ha- in order to do phenomenology, we have to put ourselves into this thing called the phenomenological attitude mm-hmm. or like the way of mm-hmm. not even just thinking about it. Like it's a way of being, you yeah. could say it's like such a primordial way of orienting yourself that it's hard to talk about, but he says, we're not, we're not in that. Mm-hmm. Our everyday way of being is what he calls the natural attitude. Mm
1: hmm. So, and this tells us a couple of things there, right? Number one, it tells us that he believes, obviously, that phenomenology is not a natural (laughs) uh, disposition of the soul, right? We're capable of it, obviously, Mm -hmm. but this doesn't come natural to us. We need to be trained in order to look at things from the phenomenological perspective. So, in a sense, it's unnatural, cultural, right? Right, right. Whatever whatever you want to call it, right? but it is also necessary for us in order to be to be able again to access this rich of mm-hmm. this wealth of of experiences there right to actually ac- access the way i don't want to say the way things are but yeah. that's kind of what we we're, we're ranging towards there, right i'm wondering you know what we're talking about this i'm i'm kind of going back to to what you said before, that phenomenology is about mental states or experiences, state, not states, experiences. In the loosest
0: sense, yeah. Yes.
1: Um, and when we connect this to what we're saying now, it, it makes even more sense, right? This disposition, this, this attitude, this phenomenological attitude, it's a mental attitude, right? Mm. It means that you need to be disposing your mind to treat whatever Phenomenon are, right? We'll yes. talk about that in a minute. Yes. In a specific way. Absolutely. So maybe this is the way in which we can explain how is this a mental issue, right? Is this Is a mental disposition? Is a mental experience? Because it's not about the way you... It's not about your physical attitude, right? It's, it's not about like how you it, move your arm. Exactly. It's not about that. Yeah. At least for Husserl. It's and I think that this is the reason why later on you have somebody like Merleau Ponty that kinds of bring the body back into
0: play. yeah and and he tries to do that like in ideas too yeah because
1: yeah. it's you have the first impression that you have is like the only thing that counts is this mental thing right and then you need to which same thing for the card right then you need to go back and reach back for your body sort
0: yeah and we need like I feel like when we say this We got to understand that we're using mental here in a loose sense. Mm -hmm. Because another one of the things people hate is like, they hate when you use that word. They're like, no, you can't talk about the mind because then you're presupposing a distinction between the mind and everything else. And it's like, that's not the point, right? We're just talking about whatever the locus of thought is, Mm -hmm. right? In attitude, obviously, there's a connection between the, the physical, the arm, the way you move, the way you comport yourself towards things, and that. But it's like, Whatever the locus is of thinking, of consciousness, that's what he's getting at. It's Mm -hmm. not not to say it has an independent existence, not to say it's unrelated or that it exists or it doesn't exist. It's just we have to talk about this thing. Yeah. And I think that,
1: you know, piggybacking on what you're saying, well, you could even intend this in in a purely materialistic way, in a sense. I don't know if you agree with that. Or even if you agree with that. Mm-hmm. But there is a way in which you can say this locus is the brain. Mm-hmm. And so that's the place where this starts. doesn't have to be the mind, right? It could be like a physical, material
0: place. So this actually was... Husserl would disagree with that part. I, agreed. But yeah. Because he says psychology. That's what psychology is. does. Yeah. Right. And this is one of the things he's like, that's not what we're doing. So <laughs> but we I'm can't saying, make any assumptions.
1: No, absolutely. But I'm saying I think that today, if it was alive today, well, I'm, I'm not sure actually about that. But I'm saying there is a way of understanding it. It doesn't have to be this mm-hmm. abstract thing. As you say, it's a place. Yeah,
0: just as a starting spot. Yeah, exactly. And so like, what is this thing, an attitude, right? The mm-hmm. natural attitude, the phenomenological attitudes. I think an attitude, I said it was a way of being. Another way you can understand it is like a set of beliefs you have. Mm -hmm. Deeply held beliefs about the world and yourself and how those two things interact and anything related or not related to those things. And they're so deeply held that they're not even active beliefs that you hold or that you posit as a claim. In fact, you probably don't even know that you have these things as beliefs because you take their content for granted and just are like, this is the case.
1: Yeah, I was about to say the the way I think about them every time that I think about these things, it's like the field where other beliefs grow Mm -hmm. rather than beliefs themselves.
0: It's like the ground.
1: Exactly. That thing is like, you know, if you're playing football, right? Mm-hmm. Today the NFL starts, uh, so you know when we're recording this. <laughs> and it's you know when you think of football, you tend to think about the the helmet, the 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 players, the mm. the tactics, the coaches. Uh, even sometimes you go and think about you know the stadium and the spectators, but you rarely think about the pitch itself, mm. right? the the grass or whatever the turf yes you really think about that but without that thing without the lines in there nothing can happen yes and this seems to me what he's describing
0: yeah it's it's a pretty good analogy and his point is like before we even talk about the natural attitude you have to recognize that you are in an attitude, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Because you might be saying, what do you mean? I don't, I'm not biased. I don't have any special, like particular beliefs about anything. And he's like, no, you do. You do. (laughs) And it's, it's not a bad thing about you. It's, it doesn't mean all that stuff is useless or non philosophical. He's just like pump the brakes. Let's like kind of flesh out all this background code. That's kind of like running, um, that we have to acknowledge.
1: Which is an, an enterprise very similar to Socrates' one, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, but first of all, let's figure out what is your vantage point on these things, what kind of attitude you're bringing to this. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing this, he calls it natural, right? Mm-hmm. Just because this is the way you are, and you are this way, you know. And here we can have disagreements, but that doesn't really matter, right? It could be like this because you are like this. You can be like this because you grew up like this. Yes. Whatever the reason is, but there is a specific point of view on things that you bring, even because you are geographically located in a specific place, right? Yes, You're not God,
0: right? You're not the view from nowhere. Mm -hmm. You're not a blank slate. You have this apparatus. Mm
1: -hmm. You're literally bringing something. You're bringing
0: something, right? And some of it is... You can't escape, but some of it you could give a hint here. Well, he would say bracket in mm-hmm. order to get where we need to go, and so he says you're in a certain way. Let's unpack these ways that you are in. How how do people typically think about things? It's like what exactly is this natural attitude? And by the way, it's not about one person. Yes, right. Good he's not. Point. He's not saying like one's attitude, this one person's attitude, like Giuseppe's attitude, and then Anthony's attitude, and then Joe's attitude or whatever, he's saying, no, this attitude is like all human subjects, mm-hmm. like most of the time, except when they're in the phenomenological attitude.
1: Yeah. And that is very important because I would add to, again, we're trying to be faithful to Husserl, yes. but also... As you know, I like to add some things. So I, I would say that he's making a distinction here, right? And I, and I agree with that. And there's also an, another level, right, which is you have to think of this. There's the pitch there, right, which mm-hmm. is what he's talking about, that every every game is played there. So each one of us is there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there's the specific personal yes. thing that you bring in. So there are two levels, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, well, the one he's talking about most likely you don't know to have this and the second the second level most of us we really need to think about yes. having those because otherwise we we just think that this is the way
0: right yeah and we should get rid of those too yeah right because like the ones built on the other mm-hmm. so there's like the typical conditions associated with subjecthood mm-hmm. in general and then there are the and those are like the objective subjective ones which yes. is a funny phrase but yeah. you know, we talked about that in that one episode And then there's the more personally subjective ones, And he says, we got to get rid of all those. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, okay, what is the natural attitude? And his starting point for this is so cool. I think it's cool because it's very (laughs) accessible to anyone. It's literally like, look around and think about stuff. Like, what is presenting itself to you? How is it presenting itself to you? Like, what exactly do you think about these things that you take for granted? And he says, okay, like I kind of look around and I see a world spread out before me in space of things, right? Like, so the natural attitude first and foremost says that there is a world of things that are distinct from me, Mm -hmm. right? There are things, there's a world, they're distinct from me. And I make the assumption that these things are here even when I'm not experiencing them. So I'm like, okay, I look out, I see a chair. It's a spatiotemporal chair happening in the thing that science would call, you know, the objective spatiotemporal reality. And I am not this chair. And when I disappear, that chair is still there in some sense. So these are like the basic things. But on top of that, there's also values Mm -hmm. and there's other people and there's idiosyncrasy, and there's everything, right? It all is contained within this natural way of being.
1: But I think that the example that you made is pretty good because everybody makes that assumption, right? Mm-hmm. Every time I talk about Barclay, for example, and the, the fact that you know the way things might lead to belief that things might disappear, students are like, that is it, crazy, <laughs> right? But that is the thing, right? We are, this is one of our natural attitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, other and there are so many of them, and we are so grounded in that mm-hmm. that it's very difficult. And again, he's one of the reason why it's great is that he's able to think about this, to detach himself from that, and to go to the next level. Right? Yeah,
0: because he's not making a judgment about it. Nope. Right. He's just saying this is what we do. It's like mm-hmm. there's a world of things. I'm involved with the world of things and the world of things continues to exist even when I'm not involved in it. Exactly. Right. And those things could be objects, they could be values, they could be whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. Could it be other people too?
0: Could it be other people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause like I assume Mm -hmm. you don't disappear (laughs) when I leave the room. Right. And I assume you're also a conscious observer. Mm -hmm. Right. And he says,
1: That's actually what I was going to. So another assumption is that when we're talking to somebody else, right? We're assuming that the other subject is kind of similar.
0: Yeah, also a subject.
1: Absolute subject, yeah.
0: Yeah, and this is the way we are, and that's fine. And he says, but if you stop and look at that, this attitude is characterized by what he would call like, the general thesis. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's not a thesis in the sense that you are defending it actively. It's just a background belief that's passive, passively posited, right? Mm-hmm. And this is precisely that idea um, that things have this particular metaphysical status, which is they are material or they are not material. They are here when I'm not you know, looking at them or whatever. The point is that we just make this leap um, by default that there is stuff out there even when we're not engaged with it. And Mm -hmm. that's the general thesis. And this is one reason why phenomenology is not psychology, because psychology happens within that natural attitude. It's another level. It's Mm -hmm. like a theoretical natural attitude, but it still assumes like there is a brain, and this brain has parts. And the experiences you have are rooted in these parts of the brain and this brain is a material object and material objects exist in the world even when people aren't here right so there's this like material realism mm-hmm. and who's saying that's the natural standpoint and phenomenology is not going to do that and that's not to say he thinks because he might be listening and being like oh so he thinks nothing exists no, that's not what he's saying, right? That's like an oversimplification. He's going to take a much more weirder, complicated, nuanced stance. Definitely.
1: And I'm, I'm, while you're making this distinction, I'm thinking that he says pretty much by saying that it's, saying that phenomenology is more on a metal level. Yes. That's a than, good way of putting it. Than psychology, right? Psychology is playing within the field. Yep. Uh, it's playing with the rules of the natural attitude mm-hmm. while phenomenology kind of goes on a meta level and observes things from another from another perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's able to identify the limitations of this natural attitude.
0: Yeah, he'll call it uh, pre-scientific.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's not science yet, but not in the sense that's bad, right?
0: Yes. It's like the prehistory. Oh, right, right, right. Not like that.
1: <laughs> uh, but it's like it founds science, right? It's kind of what you were saying before. It's pre in the sense that there's need for that in order to have science.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting with these translations and the words they choose because like they still will contest like what I'm doing. It's not science in the traditional sense, but like it is a science Mm -hmm. and it's the science. It's the meta science that grounds all other sciences and even philosophy itself in a sense.
1: Yeah, it seems to be the, well, in in his mind, I'm sure it is. Mm Mm-hmm. The meta stuff, of the meta stuff, right? <laughs> yes. That's uh, the meta move that, that he makes.
0: Yeah, and so his basic thought here is like, okay, step one to doing phenomenology, recognize that you're in this natural attitude. Step two, dispense with this natural attitude. So get rid of it. Get rid of it.
1: Or at least do you get rid of it by recognizing it? Or is that a... An- Another move there.
0: Well, you recognize it, and then you have to take another step.
1: There is another step there.
0: Yes. And the question becomes like, what What you telling me I can't believe in things? <laughs> like, what do you mean?
1: I was about to say, is it... I mean, the fact that you need to rid yourself of a natural thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Seems weird.
1: Seems weird, and it's also like everything in philosophy, might not be necessarily pleasant to do mm-hmm. because you, you might be weirded out the moment you move away from that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It's kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it is. it takes effort, right? It's not something that today was oh, okay, I'm going to shut this off. No, <laughs> that doesn't
0: happen that yeah. way. And it's, think about Descartes again. Yeah. Right? What cannot be doubted?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Colesbury was kind of taking a similar move. Uh, move. And he says all that stuff about interacting brains and mm-hmm. worlds and the mind independent world, like all that can be doubted. Mm-hmm. He's not saying it's wrong. He's mm-hmm. just saying it's literally like Descartes able to be doubted. You can imagine that it is not otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, what he wants to do is get rid of anything other than what is presented to him. Mm-hmm. And so he, he actually brings in um, Hume's language here, right? So Hume has this idea of matters of fact, mm-hmm. right? Matters of fact. These are like empirical things. Like the bottle is on the table mm-hmm. and the sun will rise tomorrow. And this table is made out of a substance that is here when I'm not here. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like science, psychology. Those are sciences of matters of fact. Phenomenology is the science of the eidos Mm -hmm. right he goes to the greek here it's like the word for idea Mm -hmm. and he'll use this word eidetic to describe things that are like of that particular Mm -hmm. thing so phenomenology is supposed to be this presuppositionless philosophy that doesn't deal in matters of fact nor does it deny the matters of fact but you deal strictly in the realm of what is presented to consciousness as an idea. Mm -hmm. He says, you take that general thesis about things existing outside of us and you kind of put it to the side. side. You don't say it's true. You don't say it's false, but you, you bracket it, you put it in parentheses. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, this is like the famous phrase, if you've ever heard, like he says, this is the Mm epoch, right? To, to put it out of play you're just not even considering whether it's there or not when you're not you're not like saying there are things in themselves there are not things in themselves you just say i'm not going to answer that question i'm just going to describe literally the things that present themselves to my consciousness without regard for any extra metaphysical status
1: so i'm always you know uh in my mind wrote this 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 analogy to me And so I guess questions more than (laughs) anything else. Um, Question number one, is phenomenology a shallow philosophy? What do you mean? In a a technical use of the term, is it the philosophy of the surface Mm. of stuff, right? Because it seems that every time you go and you add values to things and you add presupposition and things like that that go in-depth into the thing, that go beyond the appearance itself, then you're turning into the natural attitude, right? Mm-hmm. It's phenomenology kind of... It's phenomenology trying to present itself as the impressionism of philosophy, right? Because yeah. I always... And this is what actually makes it attractive to me. is this idea that appearance...
0: No, <laughs> them phenomena, funny faces.
1: <laughs> them phenomena, the things, the way they present themselves, is interesting and important, regardless of the values and the depth that are beyond. Hmm. So it becomes this. I know the word as a back connotation, shallowness, right? Mm-hmm. But is a superficial, and again, it's all on the surface, kind of. Hmm. It's the it's that's what you are kind of dealing with, and then what comes after comes after.
0: That's like an interesting question, um that I've never considered in that sense. So if what you mean is, does it just consider the bare bones thing without anything attached to it? Mm. yes, but he will contend that it that's those are essences, right He says phenomenology is like a science of essences and you know as conducted within this eidetic phenomenological attitude so something presents itself and i feel like this is confusing language right if you're not Mm -hmm. super familiar with this you experience something that's Mm -hmm. the the easy way of saying it right experience is happening and you have all these beliefs about like what that means and he's saying If we're going to do phenomenology, you have to perform like a reduction, right? A phenomenological reduction, where we boil the experience down to its most basic parts, like nothing other than literally what is presented in the originary experience. Yes, which everything else is thrown away. And yeah, the essence of the thing is what he would say.
1: I yes, I get that, but isn't the essence of the thing in this specific? a way of looking at things, at the end of the day, just the way things appear.
0: Is essence rooted in appearance?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But I'm saying, Mm. and if that's, let's assume, I don't know, let's look at uh, the computer, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a way in which I look at the computer and I see with the natural attitude all sorts of things, right? There's the monetary value of the computer, the utility of the computer, What lets me do the material aspect is made out of matter, made out of plastic, metal, Mm -hmm. silicium, whatever is in there, right? All those things. Now, if I bracket those things, if I perform a bouquet, all those things go away. Mm -hmm. What stays there is just the image Mm -hmm. that is presenting to my eyes to... The eyes of the mind, right? But to to my eyes. So therefore, of course, it's eidetic, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's not talking about senses necessarily, right? Right, right. that assumes too much. Exactly. We're talking simply about the way this eidetic essence, this eidetic, um, uh, what can we say, image, Mm -hmm. hooks to my mind. That is all it's describing. Yes. And if that's the case, that seems to me, to be the most, again, not in a negative way, but the most superficial way of looking at things. Yeah, it's the like the most this, shallow way.
0: Yes, in the sense that there's like... If if the natural attitude is the pool of water, mm-hmm. this is like the surface of the water. Correct. Yeah, I get what you mean by that. Yeah, he says that what's left, he calls it the the residuum, like the phenomenological residuum, and, right? And I, what's left after this destruction.
1: And I think that idea is the... Gr- I, Eidos, right, is the right Greek word because it means image. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's an image. Yeah. And, of course, we don't use that word when we say idea anymore because idea is the image of the mind, but yes. image is image, right? Yes. But it's still an image. It's still, for lack of better words, two-dimensional, right?
0: Yeah, I feel like this word image is like super, how would you say, he has a lot of baggage. A lot of baggage, <laughs> right? I was... Because when you think of the word image, mm-hmm. you think of visual things. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Right? And even the word imagination is a problem because of that. Because mm-hmm. when you think of imagination, you're thinking of the way things look. Yeah. When really, we just mean like, think about a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we're just so attached, like Aristotle would say, to the eyes. Yeah. That this happens.
1: So let, let me see if I can make it a little bit better maybe, right? Okay. So whenever we look at an object, mm-hmm. because we have no other way but using our senses, right? <laughs> right, right. Which is the part of the natural way. Yes. At a certain point, in order to do phenomenology there, to mm-hmm. have the phenomenological attitude, you kind of need to detach yourself from that and think almost of the form of that thing. mm. In a direct way.
0: Yes, but not an empty form. No. Because it's a direct experience rather yes. than an abstraction. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: And the way in which almost almost think of when you are thinking of something rather than when something is presented to yourself. Mm. When you're thinking, for example, if I'm thinking about my house, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of picturing in my mind... The image of the outside of my house. Okay. Now, if I'm able to rid myself from any sort of value connotation, emotional attachment to the house, and I'm just seeing the house with mm-hmm. the my, my the eye in my mind, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the way this thing, again, I'm going to use the term looks itself in to my mind, that is the phenomenological.
0: Is it? It is the starting point for yeah, uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course. And I, I realized we kinda of, like I think I may have jumped ahead even a little bit because you know, you talk about the, the residuum or what's left over after the bracketing, and we're already talking about content of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And he says, wait a second. <laughs> the very first thing you notice is that there's a a difference between what he would call the act. Of your consciousness, or the noesis, and then the object of your consciousness, the the noema, right? The Mm -hmm. thing your consciousness is directed at, Mm -hmm. right? So there's like the the mental gaze, Mm -hmm. so to speak, and then there's the thing that the mental gaze points at. So that's the very first thing Mm -hmm. that you learn upon this reduction into this attitude and this is like an absolute right this mm-hmm. is an a priori thing this is not making any assumptions about oh the mind is different from the body and this exists when we're not engaged with it he's like no all we know and this is something he gets from brentano mm-hmm. right this concept of intentionality and the like the usual way people say it is that consciousness is always consciousness of something of something yes there's not consciousness of nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that you can actually separate those. Like you can have the act of consciousness without the object of it, or that you can have the object without the act. It, it's merely to say that they're like logically distinct, mm-hmm. even though they always co-occur. Yeah. Now that said, once you recognize that. You then can start to think about like, okay, what are these objects that are presented to me in consciousness, and when you do that, you don't want to make any assumptions like we're saying, and we're engaging with the pure the purest he uses there's weird words, so you know how in German, you have to make up words, yeah, of course, right, and so there's this word he uses, which I always laugh at because it sounds like George W. Bush, <laughs> but it's like you presentify <laughs> something to your mind, yeah. Right. And that sounds silly, but it's because you have to make up all this new vocabulary because um, everything is so attached to the history of philosophy that as we're going to see in the future, he's trying to detach himself from because it has all this metaphysical baggage.
1: So it obviously sounds like a hyper rational, rationalistic mm. sort of way of doing philosophy, right? He is actively telling you to do things with your mind, right? To detach yourself from all this kind of stuff, right? And the word used when you do that is the epoche word, right? Mm-hmm. Which he borrows from the skeptics mm-hmm. um, from ancient Greece. I guess one of the questions that maybe we can answer in next episode could be like that that implies also some sort of dispassion towards things. Is mm. the phenomenologist kind of dispassionate about the world, right? Mm-hmm. Because I suspect no, but uh, is this attitude automatically puts you into this? No, because it puts you into a no judgment kind of zone, right? Mm-hmm. Does that eventually becomes, I don't care about certain stuff? Or oh, right? like apathy. Yes. Does right. it bring you, a, or ataraxia, right? Yes. Does it bring you towards that? Is it going to towards that direction? Hmm. And again, maybe longer conversation.
0: Yeah, no, we'll we'll definitely continue that. All right. see you later. See ya. <laughs>